You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. And I want to talk to you this morning about the power of prayer and fasting. And I want to show you what happens when you take the time that you would normally eat and for a short period of time, you devote that time to prayer and, and Bible intake. And I'm doing that because I want to call our church, anyone who calls this your church home, I want to call all of us to a month of prayer and fasting. And what that means is this, I'm asking you to take one day a week and fast for three meals. And the time you would normally eat, go ahead and spend that time in prayer. It's amazing how much time we spend each day with a fork in our hand, isn't it? And you say, I don't have any time. Well, we free up some time by doing that. Um, so we're, for a month, for 26 days now, we're gonna, you choose the time, you choose the date. Maybe it's from noon to noon or whatever works uh, for you. And I want to share with you some reasons why we do that. And even as I mentioned prayer and fasting, the idea of fasting, some of you think, I tried that one time and I missed one meal and two hours afterwards I'm looking for snacks. And it didn't work for me. And some of us have never tried it. We've heard about it in the Bible. We've heard someone mention it. But we just never got around to doing it. And in reality, for some of us, it sounds a little strange coming off of Christmas and feasting and all that has taken place. And that would be talking about fasting. And it sounds simple, but it's not. It's, it's hard. Uh, so calling all of us to that. And what I want to do this morning is I want to answer three questions. Because fasting is what God uses to create breakthroughs in our life. So I want to answer the question, what is it? Why, we, why do we do it? And what happens when we do it? So what is it? What are we talking about? And here's my definition of fasting. Fasting is voluntarily going without food or something else for a specific purpose. The most natural thing to do when you're hungry is to eat. But if you, if you don't eat because you want something even more, that comes into the category of, of fasting. It's not distinctly Christian. Almost every religion in the world has fasting. Muslims fast during Ramadan, and you can't really say, well, I'm a Muslim, but I don't think I'll do that this year. No, you, you, you fast. Jews fast on what's called Yom Kippur, which is the, the Day of Atonement, one time a year. Buddhists fast. Hindus fast. Catholics and many Protestants fast uh, during Lent. Uh, Native Americans fast as part of Native American religion. So it's not distinctly Christian, and it's not distinctly spiritual. Some people fast to lose weight. There's a, a whole industry uh, that speaks of fasting to detox your body and, and cleanse your body. Gandhi used fasting as a political lever to almost single-handedly free India from the rule of, of England. So fasting is kind of really common but Christian fasting is different. We don't fast to lose weight. We don't fast somehow to butter God up so he'll give us what we want. We don't use fasting as a kind of a bribe to get God's attention. And we don't use it as kind of a quick cure for deep-seated spiritual problems. What's interesting is the Bible does not command us to fast. And yet, for 2,000 years, Christians have done it. And so the question is, why? And I want to give you three reasons why? It's a, it's a sign of a healthy Christian, a sign of a healthy church. And here's the first reason. Uh, Jesus did it. 
Look at Matthew chapter 4, first four verses. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus has just been baptized, and he's starting his his public ministry, the most important three years in the history of the world. He's right at the threshold of beginning, and he, he fasts, and the devil comes to him, and he tempts him. And if Jesus had given in at that time, there would have been no salvation. We'd all be stuck in our sins. We'd all die and be in a, a horrible place. So our salvation rests on what's going to happen. And how does Jesus prepare for strong temptation? What does he do to strengthen himself so that he's ready when the tempter comes? He fasts. And if Jesus needed to fast to deal with temptation, how much more does someone like me or someone like you need to fast? So Jesus did it. Here's a second reason, and that is Jesus assumed we would fast. Turn the page to Matthew 6, 16 through 18. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, and when you fast, not if you fast, so he assumes that we're going to do it. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus assumes that we're going to do it. In fact, look at verse 2, if you have your Bible open. When you give, look at verse 5. When you pray, and you look at verse 16, when you fast. So fasting is as basic to being a Christian as prayer and giving, says Jesus. And he doesn't tell us how long to do it. He doesn't tell us when to fast, but he does give these instructions. He says, when you fast, do everything you can so that people don't know you're doing it. Wash your face, brush your hair, brush your teeth. Uh, don't put on a, a gloomy face because he says, this is something you're doing to God. Not just for God, you're doing it for God to be the audience, the one that you're, you're seeking to please. And he says, if you do it to impress other people, it's not a public performance. You get your reward, nothing's going to happen. But you do it directly to God. John Piper, who wrote a book called The Hunger for God, makes this statement. He says, secret fasting makes you real with God. It's just for God, and it tests the authenticity of your hunger for His Spirit. So fasting is kind of like a test. It, it, it's to determine, will you do something for God and for God alone? It's Godward. Jesus did it. Jesus assumed we would. And here's a third reason. Jesus said we would fast until He comes back. Look at Matthew 9. Turn the page, Matthew 9, 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, here's the, here's the situation, the context. The Jews are told in the Old Testament, there's one day you fast, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And on that day, you go without food. It's a way of repenting. It's a way of, it's kind of like Lent. It's, it's a way of 
confessing your sin to God. And the Pharisees came along and they said, well, if it's good to fast one day, it's better to fast a whole lot of days. So they laid a lot of rules on people and said, you need to fast two or three days a week. And then they noticed Jesus and his disciples weren't fasting. And they said, what gives? What's up? And how does Jesus respond? Verse 15, he said to them, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken from them, then they will fast. In other words, Jesus says, if you go to a wedding party, if you go to a wedding and there's a reception and the bridegroom is your friend, you enjoy his presence. You don't, you don't fast, you, you feast then. But he says, Israel has waited for the bridegroom, capital B, bridegroom, to come for 2,000 years, and he's finally here, and I'm the bridegroom. And if the bridegroom is here, if the Messiah is here, if your king is here, you don't fast. You feast. You enjoy my presence. But he says, there will come a day when I leave. Cross, resurrection, he ascends back into heaven, and he says, when that happens, when I'm gone, that's when you fast. And he says, it's not you might, if you get around to it, fast. He says, no, you will fast until I return. So Christians don't just fast because Jesus is gone. We fast because we want him to come back. It's a way of physically with our body praying, thy kingdom come. We fast because we are not content with the way things are. We fast because we are sick and tired of the way things are. Nobody fasts when they're just content. It's a desperate measure for desperate times. And so all through history, Christians have fasted when they just couldn't put up with what was going on in their lives or their families or their city or their church or their nation any longer. And when Jesus returns someday, we won't fast. Fasting's done its job. We'll have what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we will feast for all of eternity. Fasting simply prepares us for when Jesus returns and and we feast. So if you think about it, Christians eat, and it glorifies God when we thank Him for what we are about to eat. That gives Him glory. We feast. And then when we don't eat, because we want something even more, when we fast, that glorifies God. So feasting and fasting, they can both glorify God, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, or we don't eat or drink or whatever we do. We do it to the glory of God. Food is good. Donuts may not be the best, but food is good. It's a gift from God. And he says there are times when we want something even more than the next meal. That's when we fast. And there are all kinds of fasts in the Bible. There's private personal fasts like Jesus mentioned that no one, you do everything you can so people don't know you're doing it because you're doing it directly for God. And there's, uh, there's, there's uh, congregational fasts where a whole church will gather and fast. There's national fast. A king might say or a president might call a country to fast and to pray for some crisis that's taking, taking place. Sometimes there's a regular fasting, like once a week. Sometimes it's occasional. And people fast from a meal or they fast from an entire day or they fast for longer period of time, two or three days. Daniel fasted 21 days when he said, I didn't eat any meat and I didn't drink any wine or any rich food. I just ate real bland. That was the kind of fast that he went on. And several people fasted for 40 days and and 40 nights. They fasted when they were in a crisis. They fasted when they wanted to dedicate something to God. When they were sick, 
They fasted. They fasted when they needed God's wisdom and his guidance. And some of us are there. We've got some decisions to make and we're not sure what to do. And we want to hear what God, what do you want us to do? That's when you fast. Fasting is when you plead for someone to be converted and saved. When you're fighting some sin that you've not been able to conquer, that's when you fast. You fast when there's some unusual difficulty in your life, when you need a breakthrough. And let's be honest, some of us need a breakthrough. We need a breakthrough in our finances. We need a breakthrough in our relationships. We need a breakthrough in our job. We need a breakthrough in our family, our health. And when you need a breakthrough, you, you, you fast. You fast for personal spiritual renewal, and you fast for a larger, that, that your church be renewed or that our, your country experience God. And God seems to be pouring out this idea of fasting and praying um, in an unusual way. Between Christmas and New Year's, people were just arriving back, 60,000 college students met with, for the Passion Conference in Atlanta. And a part of what they did was they fasted and pleaded with God and made promises to God that they were going to use their lives to serve Him. There's a ministry called One Cry, and they're asking one million Christians in America to fast and pray for revival in our country. Here's what their website says. With heavy hearts, we recognize the church in America is in a state of spiritual emergency. Like the church is warned in Revelation, we have become lukewarm and compromised, and the light of our witness has grown dim. We confess that despite access to more resources and biblical teaching than any other group of believers in history, we are not characterized by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, and we acknowledge our lack of widespread impact for Christ on our lost and disintegrating culture. But God is wakening us from our slumber. He's mobilizing us to pray earnestly for revival. And together, we desire to travel the narrow road of brokenness, humility, and repentance. In desperation for God, we cry out for the extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit in our day. We believe that true revival is the only hope to reverse our spiritual recession and enable us once again to display the beauty of Jesus Christ and His gospel through the whole world. So they're asking a million Christians to fast and pray desperate measures for desperate times. So what happens if you decide to do this? What can you expect to happen if you take me up on this and you say one day a week for the next four weeks, I'm going to set aside time I would normally eat, I'm going to fast, and I'm going to give myself to prayer and God's Word. There's a lot that can happen, but I want to men mention four things. Number one, things will change. Fasting changes things. If you have your Bible open, go over to Acts chapter 13 for just a moment. Acts chapter 13. The leaders, the elders of the church in Antioch are master planning for the church. They're trying to decide what do we do next? What, what's the vision that we cast for our church? And Acts 13.1 says, There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And for the first time, 
people are going intentionally to take the gospel to another part of the world. They're going toward the western part of the Roman Empire and into Europe. It's the first mission movement that was launched after a group of men fasted and prayed. And it was like throwing a rock into a pond and the ripples just kept kind of going out. No one had gone to the western part of the Roman Empire. No one had gone into Europe with the gospel until this moment. And everything changed. Two and a half centuries later, most of the Roman Empire called Jesus Lord and Savior. And the reality is, friends, we meet here today as a direct result of a group of men 2,000 years ago getting together to fast and to pray. So fasting changed the whole. Saul became Paul, wrote 13 books of the New Testament, launched churches everywhere. God answered their prayer. Fasting just became a launching pad for going to the nations. There was a time when one of Judas, Judah's kings, uh, his name was Jehoshaphat, which I don't recommend as a child's name if you're naming your baby. Jehoshaphat learned an invasion was imminent. Second Chronicles 12, uh, 20 verse 3 says, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And the next day when the people of Judah got up and went outside, all of the soldiers who had surrounded them were getting ready to destroy them had actually fought one another. They were all dead. They were all laying there. And this imminent defeat turned into a massive victory. Moses fasted for 40 days and received the Ten Commandments. Samuel fasted and prayed, and God gave Israel victory over enemies. King Josiah fasted, and the entire nation of Israel experienced revival. Ezra fasted and was able to travel safely from Babylon to Jerusalem, 800 miles, carrying a lot of money, and there were robbers all along the way. Esther called the Jews to fast for three days, and the whole nation was spared. Daniel fasted and got direction from God. Paul fasted before he named elders in the various cities and churches where he, where he began those churches. Anna fasted and saw the baby Jesus in the temple. This is the most amazing thing to me. Jonah walks into the city of Nineveh and says, in three days, God's going to destroy this city because it's so evil. Listen to Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. He even makes the animals fast. Let them not drink water. Don't recommend that, but he said, you don't eat, you don't drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may return and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God spared a city. Things change when you fast. During the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln three different times called the nation to prayer and to fasting. And the, one of the most amazing stories of modern times was in 1940 when Churchill in England called the entire country to fast and pray for about 400,000 soldiers on the north coast of France at Dunkirk who were surrounded by German soldiers. Uh, they were cut off 
and they're about to be decimated. And he called the country to pray for these, for your troops there in in northern France, and there's no way to, to get to them, and they're surrounded. Historians do not know why Hitler called his generals and said, do not attack the army from England. Had he done that, they would have been decimated. The war would have been very, very different. But for some reason, Hitler said, don't attack yet, and a fog rolled in. And if you've seen the movie Dunkirk, hundreds and hundreds of little boats and larger ships crossed the English Channel, and they picked up 388,000 British and French soldiers, ferried them across the English Channel, and they were saved. The army of England was saved, and Churchill called it the miracle of Dunkirk because he had asked the nation to fast and to pray. God moves when we fast. God changes things. What in your life needs to be changed? You have a loved one in your life that needs a miracle? You're facing some problem you just can't resolve? Anyone here need healing? Anyone need a breakthrough? You have someone who's far from God and you want them to draw close to God. You're asking God to awaken them. Anybody here have a broken relationship you've not been able to repair? Anybody here praying for a loved one who does not know Jesus? Family member far from God. Ruthie and I served in a church and there was a couple in the church, James and Gloria Dean. They had, a, uh, they had a son named Billy. Billy dropped out of high school and joined the, the circus, began to travel around with the circus. Uh, became addicted to all kinds of, of, of drugs and became an alcoholic. And what they found out was Billy was sleeping with a loaded gun under his pillow. So I was talking with James and Gloria one day, and they said, what, what, what can we do? We're just brokenhearted. I said, well, have you fasted and prayed? They said, well, we prayed. I said, you might try fasting. And they fasted for three days and prayed for their son, Billy. Two weeks later, Billy called them from a bus station and said, can I come home? I need help. Forgive me. And to make a long story short, Billy Dean came home. I ended up baptizing him. He became a Christian, and I performed his wedding ceremony. A mom and a dad, brokenhearted, wanted more for their son to come home than they wanted to eat. We served as missionaries in the Dominican Republic, and in our city, there was a little church called uh, Ciruelitos. It was just a little handful of people, three, four or five people in this church, and they, were, they became concerned. Our church is not doing anything. We're not, we're not growing. And so the pastor of this little church said, we're going to call off services for an entire month. We're just going to meet, and we're going to fast on Sundays, and we're going to pray. And at that time, I was so full of church growth strategies and philosophy, and I said, no, that's not the way you revive a church. You don't do that. That's not. And they said, we're just going to do that. We're going to call off everything, and we're going to spend four weeks just fasting and praying on Sunday. On the fifth Sunday, they had a church service. Four young men showed up for that church service that they did not, that they had not seen all four were saved in that service. And believe it or not, all four of those young men started churches in the city where we lived. Because a few members of a church got serious about seeking God. Fasting is a powerful weapon. Nobody fasts because they're content. You fast when you can't stand it any longer, when you are so desperate So fasting is powerful. I'll tell you a second thing that happens when you fast, and that is 
it reveals your heart. You, if you've ever fasted, you know the kind of stuff that you begin to see in yourself. You find out how powerful your body is in controlling you. You find out how much of your peace comes from food. You find out how much you're using food to medicate. Food, food is comfort for me. And if you have any bitterness, any anger inside of you, any strife, uh, it all comes to the surface when you're fasting. I get real irritable when I fast. And I get miserable for my wife. You just I find that about myself when I fast. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, which means there are some things more important than food. Food's not the only thing you need. And fasting just reminds us Jesus is better than food. So when you feel hungry and you're fasting, what you say is this, I'm hungry, but I want you more than I want food. And I want you to move in this situation more than I want to eat right now. And here's the question that just convicts me, folks. Could it be one of the reasons we don't talk about prayer and fasting in churches is we have grown content with the way things are right now? We've grown content with the absence of our king. We have good lives. We have nice homes and nice cars, and we have good jobs. We enjoy the things of this world, and we're okay with the idea of Jesus not coming back quickly. Fasting says, there is nothing I want more than you in my life. Here's a third thing that happens. Fasting makes you sensitive to God. Fasting helps us connect with God in ways that we would not otherwise. Because our lives are loud. There's noise everywhere and God whispers. When you fast, things that are clamoring for attention, you put them away. And, and you, you can hear the whisper of God. If you feel distant from God, if you feel distracted, I encourage you to spend a day or several days just giving attention to nothing but God. See what happens. Psalm 35, 13, very real to me. It says, I humbled my soul with fasting. Here's one, what one man said. It's amazing to see what God does when he aligns your spirit with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that does that like fasting. When I need major guidance about something in my life, I've learned that if I will miss a meal or miss a day's meal, I become sensitive to what God wants to say. And here's a fourth thing that happens when you fast. Fasting says to God, I am serious about you and your cause. I mean, it's serious when you want something so badly, you'll miss a meal for it. It's serious when the absence of something in your life just eats at you and you're grieved because of something that's happening and you miss a meal. In our city, at Midtown, at, down at Midtown, there was a once thriving church and it had gone into a decline and the church went up for sale. They offered it for sale, the building. And a church planter that I know in our city, a Bible-believing church planter, went to the leaders of that church and wanted to buy the church so he could start a church and resurrect something from that place. But because he was not from the right denomination, they said no, and they sold the church to a drugstore. It grieved me. I hear that 80% of American churches are plateaued and declining. And then I read in Acts 2 how Peter preaches one sermon and thousands of people are cut to the heart and repent 
and turn to Christ. And then the next chapter, when a lame man who has never walked is jumping up and down, he's been healed. And the next chapter, where thousands of people are coming to faith. And the next chapter, where they're persecuted and they're rejoicing. And the next chapter, where the number of disciples is increasing and the Lord's adding daily to the church. And churches are being planted everywhere. And the gospel is spreading. And demons are being cast out. And missionaries are going, do you want that kind of power? You want to see the gospel spreading with power? People you never expected would ever turn to Christ. They're being converted. Do we really want God? Or are we just kind of content with business as usual to come and sing some wonderful songs and listen to a sermon, and we have forgotten everything when we go out to the restaurant to eat? And the next morning, there's no zeal at all for God. Anyone tired of church programs without supernatural power? Anyone tired of relationships that are broken? Anyone tired of faking it, acting like you got it all together? Wouldn't it be something if we just admitted what's obvious to everyone around us, and that is we're all broken, we all have great needs, and the church becomes a place where you can confess that and feel healing, feel acceptance. Don't you long for that day? Do you long to see a church that actually cares about the things that God cares about? Do you want to see the power of God unleashed? Or are we content just to do our thing and watch TV and surf the internet? Will we be a church that says, God, we want more. And we won't turn loose of you until you bless us. And if you want any of those things, then fast and pray. And instead of eating a bagel or a burger, look at God and say, we need you. We need you to come in power in the church, and we need you to spread it through all of of Memphis. I want to close by telling you a story. 160 some odd years ago, 1857, something called the Layman's Prayer Revival took place. There were four men who said, instead of eating lunch, we want to meet together and we want to pray. It began just with the four guys meeting. And then several others began to join them, and soon there were a hundred people who were skipping lunch, and they were praying together. Here's what one historian said about that. He called it the mighty visitation. He said, like a mighty tornado, the Spirit of God swept across the land, and New England became the epicenter of great awakening, resulting in great numbers finding salvation. In some towns, it was reported as being almost impossible to find anyone who had not been converted. Pastor Sam, we want to share the gospel. I don't know anybody who's saved, who's not lost. I don't know anybody who needs the Lord. They're all saved. Like a great spiritual epidemic, tremendous conviction of sin swept through the land, and thousands turned to Christ drunkards as they stood at the saloon bar, gamblers as they sat at the card tables, congregations as they sat in churches, even passengers as they were on board incoming ships came under the influence of this strange and wonderful moving of God. Kneeling in repentance, they found pardon wherever they were. Many places, dance halls, theaters, gambling dens were closed and emptied. New churches began to spring up everywhere. Family altars were restored and the spirit of prayer grew in intensity until anyone could cross the land and find a midday prayer meeting in almost any town. It's estimated there were 50,000 decisions for Christ in one week when the awakening was at its height. And historians tell us a million people came to Christ in one year. And I hear about that and I will go, Lord, do it again. Do it again. 
and spread it till the last Shawiya child in North Africa has come to Christ and the highest village in Tibet has heard the gospel and the smallest little town in Siberia has heard the gospel. And if you want this, pray and fast this week in the month of January. And when you experience hunger pains, say, Lord, I want more than I want to eat. I want to see you move. I want supernatural power. I need you to work in this situation. Lord, would you revive your church? Would you revive your people? You say, well, would God always do what we ask him? Now, sometimes God waits to see if we're serious. But we've met with God. You say, I, I, if I'm going to do this, I, I need some more help. I've never done anything like this before. And I want, I want to give you some help. Go ahead and put that number on the screen, if you would, please. If you'll text at to pray 901 to 81010, and we'll just leave that up for a moment, you'll get a prayer prompt at 901 in the morning and at 901 at night about the needs of the city of Memphis. I've been doing this for several months now. And you can actually pray for our city and what's going on in our city. You say, I need some more help. We put on our website, on the homepage of our website, two articles written by Bill Bright, who fasted and prayed for 40 days a couple of different times. Two articles that give great detail, more than you ever wanted to know about, about fasting. And some of you say, I, I can't do that for health reasons. I, I, I meet with people with my business, with, with customers. I, 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 can't, I can't fast. That's okay. Um, Paul, uh, uh, King David fasted sleep for a night, well, without sleep for a night in order to pray. Uh, King Darius in the Old Testament fasted from entertainment. Maybe you can fast from social media. <gasps> Maybe you can fast from television. Maybe you can fast from your phone for 24 hours in a week and then the next week and the next week. And we flood the Lord with people who are desperate for God. I want to close by us praying, launching into this new year, that we might be a people ready for whatever God wants to do. So if you can get on your knees, I want to encourage you to do that. And if you cannot kneel, just bow low in your seat in humility before the Lord. If God has brought anything to your mind that needs to be corrected or confessed, or lift. Tell him right now that. Acknowledge it to him. Ask for his help and his power. And would you say, Lord, we're going to find the days that work best for us. Uh, and we're going to start this week and we'll do it during the month of January. We're going to join our church in this. Lord, I thank you for the weapon that you placed in our arsenal to express our grief or our desperation or our need for you, to express our desire that Jesus come back and do what only he can do. So many of us have things and nothing is touching them. Nothing is changing them. Only you can do it. So would you help us as we fast and pray like Christians have done for thousands of years? I pray for the elders of our church, deacons of our church, small group leaders of our church, teachers, ministry teams, everyone here who calls Jesus.
their Lord and this their church home. Would you make us holy in practice? Would you make us humble people? Would you make us loving people? And Lord, put your hand on this month of fasting and prayer, please. For your glory and our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com.